All right. How are we doing this morning? Doing good? That was a really positive response. That's excellent. <laughs> this is the time of the year where I remember that Staples commercial. Um, and I remember being a, a young boy and seeing that Staples commercial where it's, um, it's, it's a, a father like, you know, riding a shopping cart through the Staples aisle. And, he's, and, and in the background, they're playing, it's the most wonderful time of the year because all the children are going back to school, right? Um, and I remember just disdaining that commercial because I knew what was coming too, Caleb. I knew what was happening. <laughs> I was going to go back to school. But you know what? It's all good. It's a good thing. And um, I'm, I'm assuming that's why we had such a positive response this morning. Um, but there are other things in life that can give us life and joy. And we're going to talk about those things today too. So uh, let me just open up with a word of prayer and, uh, and then we'll... We'll get, we'll get into it. Um, Lord Jesus, I just thank you that, uh, that you endured uh, something that wasn't so positive. You endured the crucifixion. You endured even being a human being with the end goal and the end result of you finding a home inside of me. You endured all of that with the end goal of being so close to me that you're closer than your name on my lips. And so that's the same for each and every one of us here. And so we just received this morning the beauty and the wonder of the resurrection. Let's pray this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody breathe in. Everyone breathe out. Hebrews says that uh, Jesus uh, sustains life. He sustains life by his own breath. The breath in your lungs, the, the fact that you're here and you are present here, you're conscious. Um, he's sustaining you. There's a purpose for you to be here this morning. And, uh, and so I am I take it very seriously, the opportunity that I have now to remind you something that's super, super important, something that we should not forget, something that uh, for the believer to forget, it's a huge, it's kind of an error. We're kind of out of place. One thing that's very important for us to remember always is to remember the resurrection, to remember it and to also receive the resurrection, everything that was part of it. And um, I, I forget a lot of important things. You know, I remember as a kid, uh, my mom had gone into a grocery store and I didn't want to go in. So what I did is I stayed inside the car, but I took the keys. So I had the keys with me and then I would play the music, like play music or play radio while I'm sitting there. And uh, I don't want to run the battery out for too long while I was doing that. So I would sit there and then I took it out and then I put it back in for a bit, took it out. And my mom was taking long, so I actually had it out and had it on the... Um, on the, on the passenger seat, and I thought to myself, okay, this is taking too long. I gotta go inside the grocery store. So you know what happened, right? I go out, I lock the doors, lock the keys in. Pretty important thing to remember, right? So uh, my mom comes out, she's ready to put the groceries in the car, and we're not going anywhere for a bit. Uh, we had to wait for CAA to come and to help us out. Uh, now, one thing, one thing I, that even on the topic of CAA again uh, is uh, like rewards points. 
Okay, you know, like if you have a CAA membership or any kind of membership, sometimes you get 10% off, 15% off something. Uh, my wife and I went to a movie recently, and, uh, and I was so thankful that they asked me for my rewards card. Because if they don't ask me, I'll forget. And then I miss out on that 13% off. And, you know, and it's not like it's the end of the world, but just for me personally, I just want the win, right? Like, just give me that 10% off or... You know, maybe I get some extra points so I get a free popcorn next time. You know, sometimes we forget things that we should actually remember. And we can get down on ourselves about that. Uh, but obviously, again, like I was saying before, the most important thing for us as believers to remember is the resurrection. Now, if you ever get down on yourself about, you know, forgetting things that are important, never forget to go to the Gospels and read about the Apostles. Okay, read about the apostles, those who were with Jesus. He told them, I'm going to um, be handed over into the hands of sinners. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise on the third day. And he told them that. And all of it happened, but they forgot. And we're going to read uh, a passage of scripture about how they forgot this. But I mean... Let's not forget several things here. If we, if we forget the resurrection or we, we ignore the fact that that happened, it's a really important thing for us as believers because the resurrection is the only reason why we're gathered here today. Paul says that um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, of verses 13 and 15, he says this. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain and, and we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. Very typical Paul conversation there. It's hard to comprehend. Basically he's saying, you have no faith. All of this is in vain. If Jesus Christ did not die and come back again to life in bodily form. It's a huge important thing for us to remember. And two reasons why that is, we're going to talk about it today as we look at our, our passage, is that it's important for us to remember and to receive the resurrection because that's where our life comes from. It's the reason why we're here. But then a the second reason too is for, because if we remember the resurrection, we're going to find rest. We're going to experience rest in this life. Uh, so we're going to read quickly just from uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. And Nikki got him up there. So um, if you don't have your Bible with, uh, with you, you can just um, you can read along on the screen. But if you do follow with us, follow with me. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, they were talking about, there's, there's three ladies here in this, in this um, recording of the resurrection, okay? But when they went there, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered 
into the hands of sinful man and be crucified on the third and on the third day rise. And they remembered Jesus' words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But I love this. But these words seemed to the apostles like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Pretty striking question. You see, these women had obviously forgotten something important. Jesus had told them what was going to happen, but in this moment, they were looking for Jesus in the wrong place. They had forgotten everything that happened uh, ahead of time, and we can see that even the apostles did. Uh, I love how they say an idle tale, like they just thought the women were making something up. These are the apostles. They were walking around with Jesus, flesh and bone, interacting with him, and they thought these ladies were making stuff up. Another thing to keep in mind, too, is that you can see that these women were absolutely prepared, totally prepared for this event. They got up early in the morning, and they came with the spices, and they were going to go um, and, uh, and they were going to go and put the spices on the body. So they were prepared to do this. So that, um, and they also, actually, this is an important part too, they even obeyed the law. Um, in other uh, narratives, it says that they waited, like they didn't do it on the Sabbath. They could have done it on, on Saturday, which would have been the Sabbath for them. But instead, they waited until the first day, first shot um, of the morning on, on, the, on the Sunday to go and do this. So they're organized, they're prepared, they're punctual, they obeyed the law, they did everything perfectly. But what's so interesting is that the grace of God, the power of God, kind of laughs in the face of perfect performance. Now, if we want to contrast with them, if we want to look at the apostles here, even Peter himself. Peter runs and he goes to the tomb, but then that word marveling is used. And that word marveling, um, in, uh, if, if you translate it, it actually means wondering. Like it's, a, it's used multiple times in the scriptures, especially in the gospels, when somebody is trying to work out what's happening. So sometimes you can read marveling and think, oh, he thinks this is awesome. But no, at this point, Peter doesn't get it. Why is this happening? These guys have totally missed it. And these apostles' dismissal of what the women said wasn't a dismissal of what the women said, right? It was actually a dismissal of Jesus. They didn't take seriously what Jesus said, and they dismissed it. They had forgotten something that they should have remembered. You see, whether it was a good performance or a bad performance, all of this means nothing because the love of God was running after them. And what we're going to see is we're going to see how, um, how, how God reveals or Jesus reveals himself to them and it makes it clear that the resurrection had happened and, and an opportunity for new life had come for them. But sometimes we're like these individuals uh, in this narrative. Sometimes we're looking for Jesus in our performance, right? Sometimes we're looking in all the wrong places just like those women. 
for maybe life. We're looking for um, we're looking for affirmation. We're looking to feel good about ourselves. We're looking for someone to affirm us and how our, our body shape is and what clothes we're wearing. Um, and sometimes we're working hard at work to get that promotion. We're doing all these things uh, to be affirmed. But yet, all these things, no matter what, in the end, they're just dead works. They don't bring life. The only thing that is a source of life and that brings life is the person of Jesus Christ. And that has come to us only through the, the function of the resurrection. So what is the resurrection in full, right? We know what the event was, but what actually happened? So let's just talk about that really quickly, right? What actually happened in that event? Well, I'm going to describe it very simply for you like this. I think we might have to go back a slide or two there. But I'll describe it very quickly. The resurrection... is the event in which your old self-centered life, your old self-centered nature, the old you, had died with Christ. When Jesus died, that individual died and is gone. But the rest of that event is the fact that your new life, now this new life that you have through the life of Jesus, is a Christ-centered nature that is joined to the person of Jesus, joined to his spirit. And this new life is enslaved. I like this word enslaved. Is enslaved to doing good works. It's enslaved to righteousness. It's enslaved to, to new holy desires that God wants for us. So it's nice to think about it like this. Like, like if you take two pieces of Play-Doh, you know, a green and a yellow, and you mix it together and it makes purple. And and the purple looks really great. Sorry, I know what it makes. I mean, okay, anyway. So anyway, you put these two together and you mix it up, right? And you don't know where one piece of the Play-Doh ends and the other piece of the Play-Doh begins. That's what happened to resurrection. The old self-centered you died when we chose to become followers of Christ. That person died, but now your new self, your new nature, your spirit has become joined with his spirit and it has new holy desires. It is enslaved to doing good. It desires to do good. And that's something for us to rejoice about. It's something for us to remember. Um, and, and, and well, basically, it's something for us to celebrate because that's where our life comes from. Otherwise, we were totally dead. When Jesus died, we had, our spiritual old life had to die with him. And some of you might ask yourself, well, why? Why would that have to happen? Well, because you can't have two lives, right? You can't still have an old life, an old man, and now have a new man in Christ. That means you have two lives. And if anyone told you they had two lives, you would tell them they were nuts. You tell them they were crazy, right? Or you say they were duplicitous. You know, they're trying to fool everybody. No, that's not the case at all. God doesn't want to pull the wool over the world's eyes and doesn't want to fool you either. Your old self had to die and a new one had to come along. You can't be a Montreal Canadiens fan and a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, right? You have to die to one and come to life in the other, right? Okay? So, so we understand that this is a process that had to happen so we can be totally made new in Christ.
Now, if we, that didn't happen, if we weren't connected to the source of life, well, then we wouldn't have life at all. And that's the case for the world, for those who don't know Christ. Because it was never about your performance. Uh, Romans chapter 5. Let's just go to that quickly. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 to 12 says this, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? So not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, one man being Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. So Adam's sin brought death to the whole world, right? Sometimes we always think it's about our performance. It's about whether or not how many sins I commit, right? How many sins did you commit to become a sinner? Anybody want to put their hands up and, and guess that? How many sins? Anybody? A lot of people are just putting your hands up. You're just making a big circle with your hands. Yep, zero. None. You were born a sinner. You were born spiritually dead. There was no hope of life unless the resurrection happened. See, it's important for us to remember and to receive the resurrection, to count it as something that happened 2,000 years ago, but also when you believed. We have to take it to heart that this happened because this is where your life comes from. It doesn't come from how well you perform or how well you stay away from a certain temptation. It doesn't come from uh, from people's pats on the back about how well you, you behave or whatever. It only comes from one source. It comes from Jesus. What I love about this too is that when Jesus died, we died with him. And when he was raised, we were raised with him. So where, where is Jesus now then? Right? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 says this. Uh, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What I love about this is that it says he's far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion. So if he is our life, if our life is joined with him, and he's far above these things, he's far above Satan. He's far above um, every scheme of his fallen angels. Jesus is far above the power of temptation in your life. So if you're seated with Christ far above these things, how come we don't feel it? How come we don't think that way? Sometimes we feel like we're under, right? Sometimes you feel like you're under the power of temptation. Sometimes you feel like you're under spiritual oppression, but it's not true. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the scheme of the enemy to make you think that, to make you forget, to make you not remember and receive the fact that the resurrection has happened and you are far above the powers and the schemes of the enemy against you. Far above it. Sometimes it's, it's, it's all we can do to lift our heads up, take a breath in, take a breath out, and realize I am alive today and I have a purpose for this day because Jesus woke me up for today 
and he is alive in me. To not focus on our performance, what's ahead of us, or how can I change my circumstances? Listen, your source of life doesn't come from your ability to change circumstances. It comes from him inside of you. Right? So what does this mean? Does it mean that we don't try anymore? Right? Does it mean that we just put our feet up and we say, okay, well, no more efforts on my part when it comes to following Jesus. Right? Well, obviously not. However, it's no longer about your ability. It's no longer about your performance. It's about Christ living through you now to make it through today. Can we receive that right now in this moment? It's about Jesus living through you to complete what you have ahead of you today. Um, I, I want to share a story with you. Uh, something that happened recently. Um, it's not a glowing uh, statement about me. Uh, it's really a glowing statement about my wife, and if anything. And you guys are like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we already know Deanne's awesome. But anyway, there's some more stuff about how Deanne is awesome, okay? Just a little quick story about my wife and I. And uh, uh, recently, and this doesn't happen uh, no, it happens sometimes. It happens often. We got into a disagreement. And, uh, and in this disagreement, I was about to... I, I was looking at the situation. I was about to get ready to go out. And, uh, and we didn't have a lot of time to kind of resolve our disagreement. And so what I did is my natural coping mechanism whenever there's a conflict. Uh, I'm a firstborn. And, uh, and firstborns naturally, more times than not, are controllers. Um, but, but my way of generally, you know, kind of trying to control things and manage things uh, uh, is by me being a peacemaker. I'm great. I'm, I'm very easygoing. Uh, I'm very compliant. You know, uh, if you have a need, I'll be like, okay, well, how can I satisfy your need so you're happy so that you like me more? Like, you know, it's one of my kind of coping mechanisms. And anytime there's a conflict, I'm usually the first person to say, okay, well, how can we resolve this as quick as we can? So in this moment, I'm like a glowing husband. Come on, guys. <laughs> glowing husband, right? Things are going wrong, and I'm just like, no, it's okay, honey. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll do this. I'll fix it. I'll do that. I'll do that. But every time I did it, Deanne got a little more upset. She, she, wasn't, she wasn't too excited with it. And, and she said, basically, look, you're not listening to me. You're just trying to shut this down. I said, no, 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 I got to control. I know what you're saying, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to make everyone happy, and everything will be fine afterwards. And I just kept doing this to the point where we were running out of time, and Deanne was pretty upset, and I said, okay, you know what, sweetie? You know what? I just got to go. I said, sweetie, right? Because just put the cherry on top before I leave, right? And I just left, um, and I realized something when I was away. I realized that when I was away that what I was doing in the process was I was dismissing her feelings. It wasn't necessarily what went wrong, but in that time, I just stopped listening to her. I just put my coping mechanism hat on, and I just tried to solve everything. Uh, when I came home, I, I wasn't too happy to do it, but I was excited to do it at the same time, too. I was excited to apologize and to make good, because I realized that even though that performance, even though that coping mechanism might look good on the outside, it actually did have a negative result. And if you're like me, you know, and you have, you know, those similar coping mechanisms, maybe you can, you can remember, you can think of that in some way. Um, that is something, being easygoing, being a peacemaker, something that people would praise me for. They would say, well, you know, I really like Robin because he's an easygoing guy. You know, he's nice and he's this and he's that. And, I would, and, and that was always something that gave me a lot of value. 
because I knew people saw me that way. But even in that way, I was still being able to, I was still able to harm um, my relationship with my wife. And so I was talking to Jesus about it afterwards, and Jesus really brought me to this verse, and it's Romans chapter 7, verse 6. And it says this, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. I love that word, the new way of the Spirit. And what I got out of that when I read that is I realized that that peacemaking, that trying to be easygoing, trying to make everything resolve, you know, that was a coping mechanism that I learned in the flesh. That's not something that Jesus taught me. It's something I just learned how to survive, right? As a human being in this world, it was just the way that I learned how to do it. But it didn't bring life. Might have had good results, but it had no fruit to it, no spiritual fruit. But Jesus, so, so I said to Jesus, you know, Jesus, this is something that people like about me. This is a good thing. Why can't I just keep on doing it? And Jesus really told me very gently, I have a new way. I have a new way of expressing myself through you. I have a new way of loving your wife through you. Today, when you face a challenge with anybody, with your wife or anybody else, you might want to go back to your old resources, but I have a new, brand new way through my spirit, through the life in you, through me, to deal with the situation. And not to just deal with it, but to bring life. To heal a relationship, to, to, to draw someone closer to the presence of God, to reveal the goodness of God. I have a new way. There, there, is, a, there is a new Robin for every situation and I am the one to do it. In music, there are eight notes in a scale. Really seven, but you can argue there's eight. Okay, seven notes in a scale. Uh, 12 scales, there's a major and a minor scale, so you get 24 scales, right? So sometimes people say, oh, there's new music. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, you would say it's new music because maybe it sounds new to you, but really it's all been done. And Solomon's really correct about that because there's only so many notes and keys and chords and stuff that you could use to make something new. We're limited on that. And every generation puts a new set of rhythms and a new set of contexts and a new set of lyrics on music. And then we present it to the world and everyone says, oh, it's new, but it's just the same thing recycled for a new group. Jesus, the one who was before all things, um, his spirit breathed uh, creation into, into creation. He breathed over the, over, over the darkness, and then there was life. The most creative one lives in you. He wants to do a new thing in you today, in every situation, in your workplaces that, are, that stink, in your relationships that are messed up, in your families that have disorder in them. He wants to do a new thing in you to bring life. The new way of the Spirit. How awesome is that? And what's your responsibility? Well, maybe one. Just remember. Remember, that's the whole point of resurrection. A Christ-centered you that is joined with Jesus on the inside, bringing something new into every situation over 
and over again. Glory to glory to glory to glory, grace upon grace, donuts upon donuts, okay? Just, there's no end to it. Sorry, donuts are great. I just had to say that, okay? There's no end. Okay, that was my first point. Is everyone all right? Is everyone okay? All right, let's get to the second point, okay? Uh, It's remember and receive the resurrection to find rest. Now, I want to point something out to you. I want to point something out to you that, um, that I just thought just really, I just felt like, you know, Jesus kind of brought it to my attention. I thought it was just excellent, and I hope it really blesses you too. Um, but we're just going to look again just very quickly at um, just verses 5 to 10 uh, from this narrative from Luke, okay? And it says this, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, these are the angels, uh, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary and the mother of Jesus and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. It was so nice of Jesus to call us just during that message while we were just, uh, <laughs> thanks Jesus, we appreciate that. It's good to hear from you. Right? So, so we're going back there and we're seeing that it's these, these three ladies have gone, uh, two of them were named Mary, and they've gone back to the tomb and, uh, and they were looking for Jesus, but they couldn't find him. Now, can you remember another time that a Mary in scriptures, I want you to pay attention to me for a second. Do you remember another time in scriptures when there was a Mary who was looking for Jesus? Does anybody kind of remember? If you, if you remember, like just put up your hand and I'll confirm that you know it's right. Okay, you got it? Okay, good for you. Okay. Yeah, there was one other time, and it was, in the, it, was in the, it was also in the book of Luke. It was when Mary and Joseph were looking for Jesus when he was at the temple. And there's something here about this that, that, that speaks to the resurrection. We're going to see it together. So we're going to go quickly just to Luke 2, chapter 2, verses 41 to 50. And if you're still following with me, say amen. 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 Okay. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were, and, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. But supposing him, him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, always something important in Scripture. You, sometimes you just, I just like really encourage you, anytime, just, just pay attention to the duration of time when something happens, okay? After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And they all heard him and were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why? <clears throat> she didn't say why are you treating us so? Okay. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, I love this, and I want us to receive this right now. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. 
I want you to hear Jesus asking you that. Why were you looking for me? Strange question. Ever found yourself looking for Jesus? Ever thought that you'd find him in one place and he wasn't there? Jesus isn't random. I mean, does Jesus get lost? Does Jesus not do things with a purpose? He asked them, why were you looking for me? Right, and you can see Joseph like put his hands up like, okay, oh man, you're right. I should have remembered that's God's son, right? Put his hands up and just totally acknowledge that. But why were you looking for me? Did you not, did you think that you would find me other, in some other place other than my father's house? And aren't we like that too? Or sometimes we're, we're looking for Jesus in all the wrong things. You didn't think you would find life. You know, Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. Did you think you'd find it in achievements? Did you think you'd find it in protecting yourself from others? Did you think you would find it in getting back at someone who harmed you? Sometimes we're caught looking for Jesus in the wrong places. And when he says his father's house, well, what is he talking about, right? If he says his father's house, where is he? Somebody want to answer that? Where, when Jesus says, I'm in his father's house, where was he actually? No, in the narrative. Where was he in the narrative? In the temple, right? That's where he was. He's in his father's house. Some other translations say he was about his father's business, right? Either way, he was, he was where he was supposed to be. Some commentators say that, that it's a beautiful verse because it's showing Jesus' obedience and his commitment to the father, right? Where else would a child be but under the care of someone whom they trust and they know they can trust? Where else are you going to find a child, right? And here he is in his father's house. Now, I was going back and I was talking about the duration, right? How long were they searching for Jesus? They were searching for Jesus for three days. He was missing for three days. And here we are, we find him here in his father's house. See, this narrative in Luke 2, uh, chapter 41 to, um, verses 41 to 50, is a bit of a mirroring of Luke 24. It's a bit of a shadow of what has been accomplished in the resurrection. Because the temple in AD, you know, approximately you know, 70 AD, uh, that temple got knocked down. That temple that Jesus was in got demolished. Romans came, um, they set sieges against it, Everybody inside, they killed, and then they ravished the whole uh, place, all of Jerusalem, and then they actually tore down the temple, and they actually uprooted the foundations. So this physical temple, this father's house is now gone, right? That's not the place where Jesus can be found. Where, where, can, where is the temple that Jesus can be found in? You got it. I see that. Scriptures say that Jesus has come by the power of the Spirit to come and reside in each and every one of us. See, this question that Jesus asked, why were you looking for me, is telescopic. You see, we see it dimly in the verse, as they did, but now through the resurrection, we can see it just a bit clearer. What is his father's business? What is he about to do? Why is he on this earth? What's the journey that he's about to go on? His whole pilgrimage of time on this earth was an end, we had an end, which, which was basically us, was basically to come and live inside of each and every one of us. He lived a human life, emptied himself, 
I did not consider it to be, um, to be something to be held on to, that he was the same with God, but came and took on human form, died a miserable, miserable, terrible death, with the end result that he could rise in the resurrection. We could rise with him, and he can come and abide in us. So this is his father's house. You are his father's house. You are the temple of the living God. I love how Ross said this earlier, that, that you are the holiest place on earth. Through the resurrection, God has come to reside within you and, and make his home in you and be at rest with you. I try to think about some other pilgrimages I've been on. I'm going to wrap this up very, very shortly. I try to think about sometimes some other um, pilgrimages, some of the journeys I've taken in my life. And uh, uh, I, I have this one band. I'm really into them. Um, I still am. And I was, at the time, I was really into them. But I would kind of hide it from people. Uh, I wouldn't say it out loud. And, and, and this one band was so awesome that they came to my hometown. And I was like, okay, well, I have to go and see them. So what I did is I signed up online to get like a pre-sale ticket. Before anyone else can buy the tickets, I would get a chance to choose the seats that I want. So what I did is I went online and I paid money to get the to I paid money to, on the site to be able to get the presale, and then I had to pay for the ticket again. So all kinds of costs involved. And then I'm like, oh, it's so smart if I was able to actually get really close to the band and get close to the stage. So I actually bought one of the seats that were like really close to the stage, and and it wasn't sorry. I said it's a seat. It wasn't even a seat. I actually was so close that I had to like, kind of stand there like uh, a couple meters from where the band would be. And I had to stand through this, the whole concert. And, um, so all kinds of sacrifice involved. But I loved this band since I was a boy. Um, and this concert was kind of, wasn't in October, it was sort of November. And, um, and then when, the, the, when I got in there, there was a whole roar of people. So it sounded like a roar, a roar of like war, right? There was just so much going on in there. Uh, all these people coming here to see this band. And then when the, all the lights came on, it was like fire was like on the stage and it was like an unforgettable fire. It was like incredible, this big blast of light. And the light was so bright that there was like no line on the horizon when you were looking forward. Like you couldn't see clearly at all. And the music came up, it was a sort of like this rattle and hum, you know? It was like this really, really powerful music, right? And it made my ears pop. And, uh, and people were bouncing into me and stuff like that, rubbing shoulders with me. And I'm like, no, caution, baby, stay, stay over there, right? I was like, it's too much going on. Um, and the songs were like songs of innocence and experience, you know? It was just like I was right behind those songs. Um, and it was, it was all that you can't leave behind, basically. Everything was up there. And the lead singer of the band comes up, like, from the stage. I comes up from below, comes up, and I see him. <gasps> I see him. Sorry, I said him, so now you're getting closer to who it is. I guess we only have two choices. Anyway, so he comes up, and I see the individual, and I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. They're right in front of me. And I looked at them, and I realized he's a man. He's a man just like me. I could actually, I'm so close, I could see the age in his face. I could see the grays in his hair, right? And I'm like, oh, this wasn't as awesome as I thought it was going to be. Uh, and the concert went on, and my ears were still popped. Um, the rattle and the hum was going on the whole time. Uh, but when it was over, my back was super sore because I stood through the whole concert. And I got home, and I realized, maybe 
I raised these guys on a pedestal that was so high, that was a little, little too high for, than I should have. I was disappointed with the experience. Jesus endured a pilgrimage. He endured a pilgrimage of, of great pain and suffering, incredible journey. And the end result of it was that he could be in his father's house, which is you. He can come and reside in you and be at rest in you. And of course he's at rest in you. Why wouldn't he be? What he suffered was way more than what I experienced at that concert. Isn't that just a picture for us to even just have in our minds? That Jesus' Jesus's commitment to the Father totally secures his loyalty to us. I mean, even if we thought it was about our performance and about how well we do things, whether or not we sin or we don't sin, Jesus' commitment to his Father's house was about his commitment to the Father. And so Jesus' commitment to us totally secures his loyalty to us, right? If we're not afraid that we're good enough to house the living God, we don't need to look any farther than, than Luke 2, verses, uh, verses 41 to 50. Jesus has come to reside in you because God designed it that way. And that was the end purpose for him. That was the end of the journey. He was fully at rest and at peace with you. And, um, and it's all that we can do to stop sometimes when the things are going on in our lives and remember and receive the resurrection so we can also rest in him as he is at rest in us. Um, uh, what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to close just for us, just close really quickly, but uh, just something for us to kind of think about as we close. Um, think about for yourself the times in your life when you've been the most at rest. I want you to think about the time in your life or times in your life when you've been at the most rest. I want you to think on that. That's how at rest, or even more so, that Jesus is to be residing within you. He doesn't need you to be anything else. Matter of fact, the old you that was unworthy of his presence is died never to return. But by the resurrection, you have a new life that is conjoined with the person of Jesus. Totally. There's no end to it. Like green, like blue and yellow, Plato making purple. Right? Just conjoined. There's no end to it. Totally, totally at rest with you. Okay, hold on. I got one more thing. There's one more thing. So I was thinking about it right now. Okay, so... Uh, my, my daughter, like she, my eldest daughter, Mahalia, she, uh, she's kind of restless a little bit. You might've seen a little bit this morning, just a bit restless. She's very active. And, uh, we actually had a chance every time, every once in a while, we kind of, I get a chance to sit down with her and, and read a story. Um, and it wasn't until maybe about, uh, maybe about a few months ago where she started resting while I was reading her story. not restless, not trying to turn the pages. She leaned back on her daddy and just relaxed. And I thought to myself, that's cute, that's nice. But then I also remember very, you know, either it was my own common sense or maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Just Jesus reminding me. I love it when you do that. 
I love it when you, Robin, you take the time just to rest, rest with me. I'm at rest fully in you. I would love for you to just rest with me. No performance, no anticipation, no trying to control things, no coping mechanisms. Just rest. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, it's so great to uh, just have the opportunity to remember and receive resurrection. I mean, that's all we have uh, really to do, and, uh, and we just choose to walk in the Spirit, and uh, we receive this new life that you have for us. But I pray that uh, more than anything, uh, that this morning, that as we're looking forward, school starting, uh, our work schedules get mixed up when kids go back to school, or uh, all our summer's behind us now, we're stepping into something new. I pray that you would help us to embrace the new that you have started in each and every one of us through the resurrection. That you have a new glory to present to us, a new thing that you want to do through us, a new thing that you want to show us about who you are and how powerful you are and how much you love and care for us. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Um, I just pray for, for every um, concern that's on our mind right now, every reason that we cannot be at rest. I pray that you would reveal yourself to be good, and kind and, uh, and a father and lift those burdens. That's this right now in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.